Good morning. <laughs> it's been a while. Let's go ahead and pray before we get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you just for allowing us to come here today and remember your son, Lord. Communion is a sacred time for us, and it's a time for us to reflect, to recognize your son. I thank you for just allowing each and every one of us to be here today so that we can take that time. Lord, I just ask that you can have your presence in me today, Lord, that while I'm speaking, it's not my words that come out, Lord, but yours. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and dismiss those kids for children's church. <laughs> I'm sure that they're just waiting to run, the two of them that might be here. <laughs> have fun, Hunter. All right, so this morning we're going to continue in Hebrews 11, and we're going to be talking about our next uh, hero of the faith, Sarah. But before we get into our chapters in Hebrews, we're going to jump way back to Genesis, and we're going to talk about and learn about why Sarah is on our list as a hero of the faith. Um, just a short heads up, when I mention Sarah, I'll mention her always as Sarah unless it says otherwise in Scripture. I'm sorry. <laughs> So jumping right in, we can kind of see at the very beginning of uh, Genesis how faithful uh, Sarah is to Abraham in chapter 12. We can see that they've been living in the same place for about 50 years now after they had moved from the Tower of Babel to Haran. And as they're living here in Haran, Abraham comes home kind of one day and tells them that they're moving. Imagine that you're living with your spouse in the same town for 50 years. Some of you are getting there or are there. And you're asking your spouse when they come home, hey, how was your day today? And they're like, we're moving. We're going across the continent. I don't know where, but we're going. Well, why are we going? God told us to. I, I know if Riley told me that when she came home, I'd probably be like, <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> Sarah had taken this absolute leap of faith in her husband, but she was also kind of stepping into this new faith with God. Before this time, she had never really had an interaction with God before. This was all coming through her husband. The, the people of the Tower of Babel, before they had split and they had moved, they had become this region of polytheism, and God had kind of fallen to the wayside for them. So for Sarah not hearing of God directly and only hearing of him through her husband, I'd say that that's some pretty amazing faith to have right there. Up to this point, she's obeyed her husband and everything that he has told her to do. So we'll move into to Genesis 12 here. And um, here, I'll do that so I don't have to tilt my head down. <laughs> we'll move into Genesis 12:4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So from this, we know that we're already starting our journey. Abraham's already getting up there in years. He's 75 and from what we had read before, Sarah is 65. She's about 10 years younger than him. So when they had left Haran for Canaan, there was uh, a time when they had already been up in years. So at this time, sadly, for Sarah, at this point, she was already barren and unable to bear a child. But after arriving in Canaan, God had made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 12:7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So this is our first promise that God has made to Abraham. This one sentence leaves a lot to unpack because it's very little, but it gives a lot. By this, we know that God intends to give Abraham and Sarah children. 
This means that 75-year-old Abraham and 65-year-old Sarah were going to have kids. But when and how? He kind of leaves that part out. So after this first promise, Abraham and Sarah leave the land of Canaan, and they continue all the way to Egypt. Now, this caused some issues for Abraham and Sarah, because even though Abraham and Sarah were old, Sarah was very beautiful and Abraham was not. Uh, Sarah, she, she discovered that Botox when she was younger, so she looked like J-Lo. Um, <laughs> at the time, Abraham was worried that he would be killed and Sarah would be taken from him. So when people asked him, he lied and told people that she was his sister. And he asked her to lie as well. Eventually, the pharaoh had caught wind through various channels about Sarah's beauty, and he arrived before Abraham and decided to pay a dowry for her. But uh, shortly after bringing Sarah home, he's like, yeah, God was like, no. (laughs) He brought plagues upon Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh, sensing that something was wrong here, went to Abraham, and the jig was kind of up. He discovered that Sarah and Abraham were actually husband and wife. And from there, they were forced out of Egypt. But the good news is, Abraham got to keep everything Pharaoh had given him. So after leaving Egypt, they had returned to the promised land in Canaan. And God had returned once more with yet another promise to them. So in Genesis 13, verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. God has now promised twice that Abraham would have numerous offspring, but he still has left out the when and how. So now we we skip about 10 years into the future. Still nothing has happened. Sarah is still barren, and she is still yet to conceive a child. We get to Genesis 15 and 16. And Abraham is talking to God once more, and they're outside, and Abraham's a little frustrated, and he is worried because the heir that would inherit his land at this point in time is not a child of his. So he's asking God about his heir, and God tells him this, Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I don't know if you have looked outside recently, but uh, there are more stars than you can even begin to count. And God is here telling Abraham that he's going to have these massive amounts of offspring that's going to come from his children and he still hasn't given him a when and how. So this is, this is a, a pretty big promise that he's given to him. He's basically told him, yeah, you are going to be the father of all these different nations. You're going to have so many offspring, it's going to be ridiculous. And I'm sure that Abraham at some point was like, oh, i got to tell my wife. He's, he's promised again. He's told us again. And he's probably gone and told Sarah what the Lord had promised. But I'm sure that somewhere along the line, Sarah got a little frustrated with the amount of time it was taking. It's been almost 10, 12 years now at this point. She's like, okay, when's this promise coming? I'm waiting on it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? But Sarah had seemed to kind of want to take things into her own hands. So she had kind of asked her husband to have a child with her Egyptian maid, Hagar, who they had left Egypt with. So in Genesis 16, 1 through 2, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarah must have been a little confused and a little frustrated. And I can't really blame her. She had 
these promises of multiple times that she would have numerous offspring, and it's been so many years now, and just nothing. She even begins to come to a point where she's bearing, or she's blaming God for her inability to bear children. Right there in 16.1, or 16.2, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's putting that on God. So with this situation with Hagar, she is looking for a shortcut of some kind. She's like, okay, it's been so many years. It's obviously not meaning through me. I have a shortcut. So she does this because she's so ready for a family. But she gets the exact opposite. After Hagar becomes pregnant, she begins to to resent her. And Sarah, figuring out this resentment, becomes very angry with both Abraham and Hagar. And she takes out this anger on Hagar and it causes her to flee. And I know with our culture, it's probably a little hard to imagine asking somebody else to sleep with your spouse. And with getting children nowadays, it's a little different. We have technology and different avenues to have kids. So let's look at it a different way. What you may be seeking from God may not be some motherhood. You might be wanting any number of things. You might be wanting to get married. You might want a bigger house. You might want a better car. I know I do. You might want to get a pay raise. Any, any number of things. Whatever it may be. We pray to God and we ask for these things. We ask him to fulfill our wishes, wishes. And God answers us with, whoa, wait, slow down, and I'll do time. But the way that we work as humans... We always want things now. We choose to have different avenues. We have, we have ways to get that fast enough. We have different reasons to, to think that we can fulfill those things. Oh, I can, I can get a better car. I can afford that. I can take out a loan. We live in a world that just wants everything faster. We want our phones to be the fastest that there is. We want our fast food to be fast. We want our cars to be fast. We want our internet to be fast but it's never going to be fast enough. We're always going to want more. So we'll come to this time, and it happens a lot for me, where some of the worst mistakes in my life are because I was too impatient to wait for the green light and go ahead from God. He's told me to wait, and I'm like, "Ah, but I can do it now. Why would I wait? Why wait? So there's an important lesson to learn here. God's promises are his own. And we don't need to try and bring them to bear by our own power and ability. We cannot fulfill the promises he makes for him. His promise is not a prediction of what might happen if we do certain things the right way or if we try to force it along by saying, oh, I can do this now. It's a promise of what he will do. Sarah at this time had a lack of faith and patience. And the result of that was it caused thousands of years of conflict between the descendants of Ishmael, Hagar's son, and her son Isaac. If we try to fulfill the promises on our own strength and wisdom, the best outcome that we can hope for is to fail. And the worst outcome that we can hope for, not even hope for, the worst outcome I can imagine is that we, we lose faith in God and we eventually start to blame him for our own meddling, thinking that he's the one that let us down when in the, in the first place we were never the ones to let him in to work in the first place. 
So attempting to take over God's role in her life not only caused conflict for Sarah, for her descendants, but it also left her embittered by the whole experience. She's now having to deal with her husband having an illegitimate child. Sarah hadn't yet developed the faith that was willing to wait for God's timing. So where does that take us? Another time skip into the future. Here we are now, 13 years later. Still barren, still unable to conceive. We go into Genesis 17, the Lord's third promise. And this time, this time God makes sure to clarify a little bit that it would be specifically with Sarah so that it would not be any more servant incidents. Genesis 17, 15 through 16. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. King of peoples shall come from her. Now, this change in name, it may not seem that different, just a single letter, but it changes the whole context behind her name. She goes from being a princess to the mother of nations. A little contentious to name your child princess, but I, I, I can see. I can see where that went. But even after God tells this to, God, or God tells this to Abraham once more, Abraham's uh, at that point where he's not very convinced. And he found it a little difficult to believe at first. So Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham laughed in his disbelief due to his and Sarah's age. How would you feel if you were 100 or 90 years old being told, you're having a baby. You go to the hospital with your wife, and Doc comes out, and he's like, dude, I don't know how, but you're having a kid. <laughs> a little mind-blowing to think of. Abraham was not a flawless man, and that little moment there shows that. And he goes on to ask God if he would accept Ishmael to fulfill the promises that he had made to him that Ishmael would fulfill the descendant role. God refused. Because he had already chosen Isaac before he was even conceived. He had chosen Isaac to be the true descendant of Abraham. So not long after this, the Lord returns in Genesis 18, and he repeats the same promise to Sarah. She had a pretty similar reaction to Abraham, that disbelief. She had laughed hearing that she would have a child. I can imagine that it wasn't a joyous laugh. She wasn't super happy or anything. Sarah, a woman who had been trying for 25 years now to bear a child for decades, she's thrown in the towel on that avenue in her life. She's grown since the situation with Hagar. She's past it. But now she's being told directly by God that she would have a child. I'd imagine that that laugh was a pretty incredulous one. But nothing is impossible with God. Matthew 19, 26. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. He even seems to ask a simple but loaded question right there in Genesis 18 and his response while speaking with Sarah. Genesis 18, 14 through 15. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. 
But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. God's reply here is just very simple and very caring at the same time. The first thing he does is he establishes his power by saying, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Second, his reply to her laugh, even if it wasn't out loud, shows that he knows her heart. He knows of her doubt, but he still chooses to walk with her and to bless her with a child. Even our own doubt, our own disbelief, and our own skepticism is not enough to separate us from God. He'll always still be there. Just as God had promised, Sarah had conceived a son. Genesis 21, 1-7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet have borne him a son in his old age? Right here, just reading it makes you want to smile. Sarah, once more, has laughter. But this time, it's the joy that she feels for having Isaac. Now, with, with all this background now, kind of out of the way, now we can really jump into Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, and know what is meant by Sarah's faith in God. Hebrews 11, 11 through 12, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many of the, as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. First and foremost, right out of the way, right out of the gate, with most of this Hebrews 11 section, we see that it is by faith Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. Twenty-five years had passed since God had first promised Abraham descendants. And he had many reasons to wait. Sarah had gone her entire life until she was 80 years old, probably trying and trying and trying and trying to have kids. It wasn't normal for people to have kids at that old of an age. There was no other possible explanation for it but God. They had nothing else to blame it on, nothing else to draw it up to. So these seem to be just a few reasons that God waited. His first reason was to prepare them. Sarah yet wasn't yet ready to be the mother of the promised son, not the way that she had been living. Like Abraham, she needed to be a person of faith. Not contentious, as her name had implied. Princess. But we too have to learn that lesson as we wait. For Sarah, it was these years and years of waiting. 25 years. It wasn't for nothing. It was to show her that while she was waiting, she was also learning. She was learning who God was. She was learning about her own faith and strengthening it. And maybe God is only working in our lives as fast as we're allowing him to. We have to kind of get out of the way. It took Sarah 25 years to do that. The next thing to do was to prepare other people. Abraham was not ready. (laughs) 
God's promise wasn't only for him. God was looking at the big picture, what was to come, what came from Abraham's descendants. God's purposes are not all about us in the here and now. Abraham and Sarah, in their frustration, were just focused on themselves and what they were going to get out of this. They were going to have a son. They were going to have descendants. And Abraham also was trying to rush this by asking God to accept Ishmael. He wanted it now. But he wasn't prepared yet. The next was to, to prepare these different circumstances. It took time to have all these different travels. They moved from Haran all the way to Egypt, from Egypt to Canaan, and then Sarah's kidnapped again by another king, and Abraham once again lies about her being his sister. It happens a couple times. I'm seeing a repeat process here. But it took time for them to learn. It wasn't they were just like, oh, everything makes sense now. Oh, that's what he was waiting for me to learn. But it was to train them to learn to wait, to have faith. The next one was to test their faith. With those journeys, God was continuously testing Sarah and Abraham. He wasn't just, he wasn't just testing them with the promise of children. All these different times where Sarah was getting picked up by all these lords and stuff for being exceptionally beautiful, that was a test of their faith. What was Abraham going to do when he was tested there? And every time, I think he probably chose the wrong choice and told people that he was her brother and she was his sister. But that's where he was testing them to grow them. And I'd like to go here for, for James. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God was using these trials that he put them to, through to grow their patience and to grow their endurance, for they were going to need it. <laughs> Having a kid is not easy. Many of you who have multiple kids know that. And the last one was to teach us. Through the waiting for these 25 years, God was teaching Abraham and Sarah more about himself what his character was like, what kind of God he was. And without the weight, they wouldn't have experienced God's power to do the absolute impossible. A woman completely barren of 90 years and a man 100 years old have children. I'd laugh at that. So what does Hebrews 11 really say about Sarah's faith? It wasn't faith in the outcome. She wasn't just having faith that she was going to have a kid. It wasn't faith in itself. She wasn't just having faith because she was told to or because she felt obligated to. It was faith in the faithfulness of God. So what does faith in God's faithfulness mean? Faith in God's faithfulness means faith in the person, in the power, and in the character of who God is. So first we'll, first we'll talk about the faith in the person of God. Sarah did not have faith that she could have a baby. She knew she was barren, and she had been trying for nine decades at that point. She didn't just think that her faith would help her have a baby. It didn't work like that, and she knew that. She had faith in God himself. She trusted in him, she leaned on him, and she committed herself to him. 
but it took 25 years for her to get there. I want to pay really close attention to this second part of Hebrews 11, 11. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. There's that capital H. We all know what that means. The heart of Sarah's faith was in God himself, not in the gift that she was receiving. She didn't have faith in the fact that she was having a kid. She had faith in God. Second was Sarah's faith in the power of God. Throughout the Bible, there are many people who say and deny that God has the power to do what he says he will do. Scripture says that salvation is the complete opposite. God has the power to save. And people all the time will be like, oh, well, I have to do all these things for that. But that's not true. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. For it is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. So then why do people in the world think and insist that they must work for that salvation? Does God not have the power to save you on his own? That they must do the right kind of works to be saved? They often quote these big sections of scripture from James as a way to not look at the big picture of God's power. For one thing, I'm really glad that we're not saved by works because we'd always be wondering, did I do enough? Did I do enough to save myself? How many good works is enough? We'd never be able to have the assurance that we've done enough. When James wrote in 2.24 that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, I want to point out that word, justified. It doesn't say saved by, by works alone. It says justified by faith alone. He wasn't saying that we're saved by our works. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. That's to say our salvation should produce the fruits of good works. Not to save us, but because we are saved. James asked, in James 2.15, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified, there's that word again, justified, by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab showed that she believed in God, not just by confessing him with her words, but by professing him in her works. She risked her life. She could have lost her life for what she had done to get those spies of Israel out. She proved that she did have faith. Her faith had feet on it. It had something to stand on. I think it's frustrating sometimes because words are kind of, I'll say it, words are kind of cheap. So people can say things and mean something else. The way that they act and their actions speak a lot louder for the kind of person that they are. We are saved by grace through faith not through works or saying we believe, but works prove that a person's faith is not dead, but alive. We need to trust and have faith that God's got this. He has the power to save us. He saves all by himself, by his grace and his mercy. It is not by anything that we've done, but accept it. Sarah, at first, had a hard time believing. She laughed that she would have a son, but then in Genesis 18, God himself asked her, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And it was kind of funny because when I was in Pastor Bill's office and he asked me that question, I stuttered and I couldn't answer because it seemed like a trick question. 
<laughs> I was like, is there a deeper meaning behind what he's asking me? Like, what, what's happening here? The obvious answer there was no. There is nothing too difficult for God. And Sarah believed that she trusted that statement. God had promised that they would have a baby, and she had faith in the power of God and that he would make it possible. And her faith was powerful. And our faith in people are powerful. But that faith is only powerful if the person that you put it in is all-powerful. So just how powerful is all-powerful? I'd like to think that just getting a glimpse at how powerful our God is kind of reaffirms in our mind, I do not want to mess with that. Right here in Job 26, 7 through 14, God stretches the northern sky over empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the the rain in thick clouds, and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble, they shudder at his rebuke. But at his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. By his spirit, made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? That's absolutely mind-blowing to think that he does all those things and it's just a whisper. How small is that? His power is so great that we can't even begin to comprehend it. We cannot imagine how powerful our God is. And going off that, having an all-powerful God, he can do whatever he wants, right? But that's not true. We know, based off his character and what he has said about his character, the kind of God he is. So now we'll look at the faith and the character of God. Sarah believed that God would keep the promise that he made. She knew his character. She knew that he was a good God. She knew that he never lied and that he always kept his promises. She had faith in his faithfulness. It would have been all too easy to say that God was playing a trick on her. Oh, he's just, he's just pulling my leg, pulling me through all this again. But Sarah had had the time in those 25 years to grow in endurance, to grow in her patience and to grow in her faith that God was who he said he was and know who he was. While Sarah wanted a son more than anything, God wasn't just giving her a son to fulfill a promise he made to her, but it was to fulfill Jesus' coming. None of the trials and the time and enduring was to fulfill Sarah's dream of being a mother. God was looking 18 centuries into the future at the birth of his son, and his sacrifice. Isaac was not just some child. He was not born to Sarah for no reason, just because Sarah asked. He was the result of the faith and endurance, and he was God's gracious gift to her. Sarah's life and faith radiate the truths of how she believed in God. And despite all of the mistakes that she made, saying that she was Abraham's sister and having him sleep with the the servant, God still accomplished the impossible through her. Sarah had received what was promised. Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, 
so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. From that we know that he will always keep his promises. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here tonight, Lord, or today. Thank you for just everything that you've given us, Lord, that we can grow in our faith and endurance with you through the various trials that we have in life, Lord. I know that things don't happen as fast as we would like them to and that you ask us to just wait and give you the, give you the reins and let you control where everything goes. Lord, we know that it's, it's hard to surrender decisions to you. It's hard to, to trust in you for those. But Lord, we know what kind of God you are. We know that you always keep your promises. And if you tell us that you will protect us and you will guide us, we must believe that. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen.